welcome back for a full month of shows now. He's been uh, one of the really good new friends of the Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK Podcast. Gerald Dixon, former Bill Scout, former XFL Scout, former Scottish Claymore, um, former uh, Edmonton Eskimo. There's a lot of formers, man. There's no <laughs> Yeah. Current, but current MVP of the uh, Tim Graham and Friends uh, brought to you by CTBK Podcast. Gerald, thanks for coming back and for uh, giving your thoughts and, uh, and football insights uh, to us and to the listeners. Appreciate you having me back. Well, it, we had uh, a really engaging discussion last week heading into the Seahawks game. Uh, the Bills win that one pretty handily, up three scores uh, in the third quarter, two scores for almost the entire game. Um, and I think a lot of people are drawing similarities between the Seahawks and the Cardinals, uh, Sunday's opponent. Uh, obviously, NFC West teams, we saw them play a really uh, – captivating game in prime time just a few weeks ago. Seahawks, Cardinals trading blows. Um, people see some uh, some resemblance between Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray and what they're able to do. Smaller quarterbacks who do other things. Uh, the Bills, I, I guess, what similarities do you see? What do you think the Bills can carry over from their Seahawks game plan uh, into uh, Glendale, Arizona on Sunday? Well, when you look at it, you, you see two quarterbacks that are um, that are mobile guys um, with the ability to throw from different um, platforms um, in the pocket. Like you said before, the size are, are, are about the same. But where they differ is uh, Kyler Murray's explosiveness as a runner. Um, Russell's a, a good runner. Kyler's an elite runner with the ability to score um, with the ball in his hands every time that he runs with the ball. And uh, both of those guys are capable passers uh, in the short, intermediate, and the deep throws. Um, Russell just being a little bit more seasoned than Kyler, so a lot of the different looks that you throw at um, Russell, he, he's going to know those. Um, Kyler's going to struggle a little bit more, but you saw last week with 16 hits on the quarterback, um, Coach Frazier uh, did a pretty good job of coming up with a game plan to um, get Russell off of his game. Gerald, what do you think of the the scheme that the Cardinals are running? Um, you see a, a lot of coaches jump from college to the NFL and bring some of those concepts, but they don't all have the quarterback to plug right in and and you know blend some of it all together. What do you make of, of what they're trying to do and and what how they're pulling it off? Well, I've always thought about the game um, evolving and the college game coming into the NFL. And I know a lot of guys are coordinators or gurus in the NFL for it for a long period of time. But when you are playing that style of football from Pop Warner all the way through high school, college, and then NFL, it's, it's only a matter of time when you get that open um, space play where you stretch the field horizontally and vertically um, with the concepts of your RPOs run um, – you run play action passes um, coming off of those, right? And when you have a guy like Kyler Murray that's been running it at such a high and efficient rate since high school and college, it only proves when you get him in the NFL and he's still running the same offense that he's going to be that much effective 
um, over a period of time. And I think with um, the head coach's um, offensive mindset and he's getting his pieces in there, you just see this offense really taking off and giving um, defenses a lot of issues of defending it. Who do you think it puts the most stress on, on the Bills' defense? Some of these, I guess, what are some of the things we should be looking for us uh, football football novices uh, that don't have the trained eye? Um, and and who do you think is going to be put under the most pressure by some of the concepts that Kingsbury likes to run? Well, I'm always going to say the underneath coverage guys, your linebackers in space, right? Because those are the guys that get stretched out the most and Typical off um, defensive game plan, you'll say, okay, good. The play action is going to get them sometimes. But now the play action is really behind their ears when they step up into the pocket. And not only do they have to defend the pass, they also have to defend the quarterback as a runner and also be responsible for their run gaps. So now you're putting those guys in a compromising position, right? Am I going to step up and play my run gap and have my correct reads? Is it a false read? And the second that I take a step forward, and it is a false read, that ball comes right off my ear into a, a receiver's hands, and he's and he's running downhill extra safeties. So it's gonna it's gonna play a big part on Tremaine, um, AJ, to be able to get in those passing lanes, and also those guys up front being able to push the pocket like we spoke spoke about last week, getting Kyler's face and making sure that those passing lanes are, sh- are shrunk. They're smaller passing lanes. Those aren't those big open windows like he um, like he's seen in the, in the last few weeks. So to devise against game plan to, to, to be truly effective, it's the same concept of those guys up front getting into his lap, um, the guys off the edges, get, making sure they put a cup on that pocket, and your linebackers getting in those passing windows using their eyes and also having a feel of where those co- route concepts are coming from to be able to get in those passing windows and affect them. And when you have a, a long athlete um, like Tremaine Edmonds, that length now comes into play because he can put his arms out sideways, and that's a window, stretches vertical. That's another window that he closes off. So that's going to be um, play a, a big part. And he, he's also going to have to make some plays in an in open field against that quarterback. Gerald, let's, let's stay on the linebackers uh, for, a, for a minute here because uh, we've, uh, we've all been uh, critical and rightfully so, of Tremaine Edmonds and A.J. Klein uh, throughout the season. They both had phenomenal games on Sunday against uh, Russell Wilson. Big hits, takeaways, tackles for losses uh, all over the field. The type of play that you expected to see from Tremaine Edmonds this year and the type of play that I think in your wildest dreams you never thought you were going to get out of A.J. Klein, uh, let alone compared to how – shaky he had been what did you see from the way they were deployed versus was it circumstance I guess my question being does this project forward as something that Bills fans might want to get used to or was it uh, do you want to hang on for a bit well I mean I don't know if you're going to have that type of game from AJ Klein every week right being um, defensive yeah um but Tremaine Edmonds, what I saw was less thinking, um, and he was able just to cut it loose and get downhill. The things that we talked about last week, finding those gaps and shooting them, um, being up at the line of scrimmage where you now take out reading and keying and making him play faster as just seeing it um, and getting downhill. 
And I thought once once he cut when he, when he once he cut it cut it loose last week, you saw him make um, more plays than sitting back at five or seven yards trying to read it out and then getting downhill while an offensive lineman or a blocker's on him. How much does that stem from being up? early and by a couple of scores that they were able just to play a different style. Do you think if it's a tighter game that we see something totally different or how how does that change the complexion of the way that Bill's defense was able to attack? Well, I'm going to put it on um, when Leslie, Leslie Frazier is a calming spirit um, on that defense. So when when your leader is a calm person and he, and he's always steadying that boat, Regardless of what that score is, that defense is going to go off of what he is, steady, consistent. So regardless of the score of last week, I, I thought they just had a real good game plan um, to affect that Seattle offense that was ready for what they brought to the table um, last Sunday. Gerald, did you notice anything different in the way they used these linebackers, specifically Edmonds and Klein? Uh, it, it seemed at times like maybe we saw Klein – in spots where he was able to make plays that he wasn't able to do in weeks prior? Um, you know what? I just thought that they, um, they played their, their third down package um, very well. Well, they have those two linebackers in the A-gaps. Or at times you saw Jermaine outside lined up where Jerry was, and Jerry lined up in the A-gap, more of a that, pressure look. That's and maybe it, what I'm asking about. Was that a new wrinkle? Because I didn't notice that as much before. No, no that, that's usually um, Sean and Leslie's third down package, that double A-gap mug um, defense. They just went to it a lot more just because of what Seattle was doing because, again, they were up, and they had to pass the ball a little bit more than um, they typically do. So it, it's confusing because now your offensive line, they have to determine – Who's the rusher? Who's coming? Where are they sliding to? What side they're manning to? And you saw a few times they guessed wrong and slid away, and you saw A.J. Klein coming off the edge without Russell knowing that he's coming there. Big hit, fumble, turnover, and um, they got points out of it. So it's similar to what Vance Joseph does as well um, with the Arizona Cardinals moving forward. What expectations do you have? for uh, when the Bills have the ball against the Cardinals defense on Sunday? Well, I mean, like we've always said, you, you want to get Josh off to a, a, a quick start and a good start. But you have to mix it up, for me, a little bit more with the, with the run game um, just to make um, defenses a little bit more honest. And regardless of if you're handing the ball off or you're having a screen play or something, but on first down, I believe you have to get – five or more yards or be in that four to five yard range and don't get into third and eight and third and seven because that's when the Arizona Cardinals defense truly ramps up and gives you that blitz package, pressure package that you now have to be uncomfortable because you don't know if it's zero. You don't know if they're coming in and, and dropping into a zone. But when it's third and three, third and four, you're now putting them, them behind the chains and you dictate to them what you want to do. What do you think of the way that Josh Allen handled the blitz last week? Because this is another defense that will bring it. Like you mentioned, if they, if they get into those third and longs, it's one of the most aggressive uh, blitzing defenses in the NFL by the numbers. It seemed like it was one of Josh Allen's better games against the blitz. Was there anything that you saw last week that you think is 
translatable going forward? Well, knowing where to go with the ball early, right, helps you a lot with the blitz. And being able to pick it up and understanding where your protection's coming from helps you out a lot. And what I saw out of Josh Allen um, last week, I have not seen it out of him before, is the patience that he had in the pocket. Um, that one throw that he held on to the ball for an extra second, you've seen him almost um, throw it like a javelin throw um, across the middle. I mean, that's, that's high-level football playing at the quarterback position, um, any way that you want to look at it. Um, before, he would have took off, um, spun around, guessed where it was coming from, but now you see a more seasoned quarterback that seems like he's spending more time um, with the game plan and understanding where the pressures are coming from and knowing, knowing where his hots are and knowing where his comfort zone is. And when you have a Beasley, a Diggs, um, you got the two running backs that are good at picking up the um, pressure. Um, Feliciano in there, um, I thought helped a lot because he brings a different attitude um, and a di different level of leadership um, to that group. And you saw those guys pick that bit bits up. I mean, he still got, I mean, Jaron Reed still had two and a half sacks, but it wasn't a, a big issue like it was before. Slipped in an Alabama shout out there. Always. <laughs> Seven sacks, though you're right. It was, uh, it was, it wasn't as if Josh was kept completely clean. But um, two quarterbacks in this game that are excellent at avoiding sacks. Um, how much more of a challenge do you think Kyler Murray will be in that aspect than Russell Wilson? I know Russell is a great athlete; he can get outside the pocket. But um, we were talking earlier today. You said you think Kyler Murray is a top three quarterback in the NFL. I do. I I think he. he... He is up there. If he's not three, he's four. But he's a top five guy, in my opinion, because the way that he throws the ball, like I said, from different platforms with accuracy, timing, placement, touch, um, you don't see but a, a couple other quarterbacks that can do that. With the added ability to run at an elite level, um, it's scary. He's more of lightning in the bottle than Russell is because at any time you can see an explosive run not for 10, but maybe for 50, right, than, um, than Russell. So I, th I think that, it, that he adds more into the zone read game um, that you're going to have to play some um, different things with the defensive end and that linebacker. You have to chase it and scrape it or fill it and stay at home. Um, somebody's going to have to have the responsibility. And this week you're going to have to be more locked into um, option responsibility at the end of the day when they run that zone read option. But also they have the pass off of it, so you got to be tied into that too. What is this? What's a week like this like? Maybe you could take us inside. You know, when you're in a in an NFL building and you're playing a team that you don't play, but what once every four years, and they happen to have a scheme and a quarterback that not that many teams have. They they do things that not a lot of teams can do. How difficult is that to prepare for, and what do you have to do to get ready? Well, the difficulty of preparing for every NFL game is always high, right? But that's why you get athletes that can help you out and you can go to sleep at night and not worry about a lot of the things that you can't control because it always comes down to the Jimmys and Joes. Um, you're going to have to say, hey, listen, we took a guy in the first round a few years ago at Mike Linebacker. That's going to have to be able to spy and erase um, some plays that Kyler's going to have. 
Um, you're going to have to say, hey, at some point, Tredavious, um, you're going to have to man up against that number one guy so we can help more in the run game and don't give up that explosive pass. So to not be long-winded with it, um, it's always high expectations to perform, but this is why you get those guys, and this is why those guys are getting paid to do a particular job and lessen the game planning and the perfect situations for those coaches. Gerald, you mentioned Tredavious White. What do you make of his matchup when he is matched up with DeAndre Hopkins? Uh, the playoff game last year when they went up against each other seemed like two different games in each of the halves of those games. Um, so when you are locked up and you're playing man-to-man or you're responsible for one of the better receivers in the NFL, um, the number one thing you want to do, you want to stay focused, right? You got to stay focused on your job, your technique, and the things that you've learned throughout the weeks, the notes that you took down and when he lines up, plus or minus, um, depending on the formation, down and distance. Those are the things that you got to play back in your head. And you can't lose um, your track and your understanding of what you're going to do in that particular defense. You can't have a busted coverage and have him score. So these are the games that you got to be locked in mentally. Um, physical, he, I mean, you already know what's going to happen. But mentally, this is where you, you want to be because this is one of the better ones that you're going to face. And he's mentally tough as heck. Sorry there. We had a little, I was waiting for, I feel like I was cutting Jonah off so many times there. I didn't want to step on his follow-up question. I, you all right? You, you don't want to follow up on no, that? I didn't have a follow-up. I was just staring at you waiting. I thought right. you were going to do an ad read. Jonah, did I answer your question? You did. Yeah. Well, actually, no. Maybe if I could ask you again. I mean, my question is, Tredavious White's an excellent cornerback. And I'm asking you because you understand this a lot better than I do. But I wonder if he can shut down DeAndre Hopkins for a full game or for in the important possessions of a game if he's asked to. And he did that. Well, I guess what I'm saying is they did that happened before in the playoffs. He seemed to do it for almost a full game, but really let Hopkins get loose late in that game. Well, you know, what do you, how confident should the Bills and the Bills fans be in White's ability to cover Hopkins if he has to? Confidence that you can cover, right? Shutting down is not happening, right? Because that, that's one of the hardest things to do is to shut down NFL receiver and when you say shut down you're saying under his average or you allow him to catch seven balls for 60 yards but I don't know about blanketing that guy and not having any plays I believe those two guys are, are equal matchups and both of those guys are going to get their just due plays and like we talked about a few weeks ago shutting down a, a an elite receiver is one of the most impossible things to do just because of where the rules are and the way that the game's being played now. Let me add a wrinkle to this then because that was such a lopsided second half after Tredavious white did shut him down for the first half in that playoff game. You know him, you know, the position, you know, the mentality it takes. Um, how much has Tredavious white thought about this matchup since the schedule came out? Um, knowing him, he, he's going to circle every top receiver um, on his list. And he's going to do his darnest to, to put it on him just because that's just his mentality and his makeup. He, it, he has it, um, the makeup of a shutdown corner, um, if you say, or an alpha corner. Forget shutdown, an alpha corner that 
regardless of the situation, time, or place, he wants that matchup. So, but even if you have that mindset, yeah, I don't see him shutting down Nuke. My personal opinion. I think it'll be a good matchup. What can you say about last week, you know, DK Metcalf was an entirely different animal than DeAndre Hopkins, um, kind of a size speed guy where DeAndre Hopkins is one of the more interesting receivers to watch because he's not going to kill you with straight line speed necessarily. Um, he's not the tallest. He's not built like DK Metcalf, but he seems like really tough to get the ball from in a contested spot. He's really good as a route runner. Um, what do you see when you see him? What what makes him a guy that seemingly is impossible to shut down because it doesn't happen often? Um, attitude, attitude, and catch radius. Um, you throw it anywhere, he's gonna go up and go get it. And his competitive nature um, does not allow you to go up and just take it from him. And he's not coming off the field. He knows that he's the best, and he warrants that. And to me, you see a lot of receivers with more speed, more size, but heart, desire, and want to. Yeah, I don't see anybody else that's comparable to um, Nuke Hopkins. And that's where I think he separates himself from every other receiver um, in the NFL. I don't think he's the best because I think Julio Jones is the best, hands down. But close to, yeah, I'll take Nuke every day of the week just because his attitude toughest Clemson player to uh, come out of Clemson since Coach Sweeney's been there, without a doubt. Defense, offense, whatever position you want. One more question about uh, Sunday uh, before we shift gears and, and talk about something with uh, uh, that I've been looking forward to talk to you about uh, today. Uh, we're talking about these, you know, the matchup. We're talking about DeAndre Hopkins, rightfully so. We've talked about Kyler Murray. But as Matt said, you get to play these teams once every four years. This, you would have to guess, is the last time the Bills will play against Larry Fitzgerald. One of my favorite players of all time because of, because he's great, number one. Number two, because he is such a good dude. And Number three, because I think despite how great he is, he's still underrated. I think it's possible, yes, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. I once had this discussion with somebody regarding Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn, obviously, one of the all-time great hitters. Uh, Maybe you could argue top five, top three. Uh, Maybe top two. Um, Ted Williams and and Tony Gwynn, maybe. I, I mentioned one time, I think Tony Gwynn is underrated. I think it's possible to be a legend and underrated. And for me, Larry Fitzgerald fits that bill. So I don't want this discussion about the Cardinals offense to go without mentioning Larry Fitzgerald, who is old and yet clearly not playing out the string of his career. He's still a very good football player. I just wanted to get your thoughts, uh, Gerald, on, on this guy. Well, the thing is, you got to look at Larry, you're going to say, whenever you throw the ball, it's going to be caught, right? Uh, Ball's not I saw a stat he hasn't had a drop in like four years or something. Right. Steady professional that understands where he is right now in his career. And unlike most older guys, you don't see him try to, best way to put this, not allow the young guys to get their just due. Because a lot of the older guys will 
you know, just because of where they've been and where they are in the organization, will try to say, okay, Nuke, even if you came over, you're still not the number one guy. And Chris and Kirk, you're not going to develop into the player that you can be. Um, and I think Larry's one of the better leaders in the NFL that teaches the game and understands his responsibility as an older player to push forward younger players to that level where they should be. Um, a la what he did for Andre Roberts. Andre talks about it all the time, um, about how Larry helped his career on and off the field um, as a professional. So, I don't, like you said, it's underrated just because of the professional that he is, the leader that he is, but his skill set and his playing ability, um, everyone knows about it. It's just he doesn't run around and pump his chest up or spike the ball and do a dance after every single touchdown. Only 33 catches for 261 yards. No touchdowns yet this year, but he's playing 75% of the offensive snaps. And, uh, you know, 75% of the snaps on a team that's doing as well as the Cardinals, he's obviously important, huge leader on that team. Walter Payton Man of the Year Award in 2016 and uh, will be in the Hall of Fame. He's like um, the Frank Gore of wide receivers. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's still, he's being, he's still being productive and everybody right. wants to put him out, but you can't, I mean, you cut the film on, you're saying, wow, he's, he's still playing well at a, at a high level. Uh, Gerald, uh, one of the things we wanted to get into today is uh, the NFL and new policies that have put in place this week regarding minority development. And I get, we'll get into it, but I guess to set the table, let me explain to the listeners who maybe have heard that this is happening or whatever. Let's just set it up. So the NFL, uh, which earlier this year enhanced the Rooney Rule, which guarantees that minorities are interviewed for head coaching and uh, general manager vacancies historically, uh, enhanced the Rooney Rule this year to include uh, now – two minorities must be interviewed for every head coaching and general manager vacancy and at least one minority for every coordinator vacancy. Um, and then this week, the NFL added uh, a system, I guess, for lack of a better word, in which uh, if a minority from your organization, whether it be an assistant coach or an executive uh, gets hired by another team to be its head coach or general manager, that team that lost the minority will receive a third-round compensatory pick. If that team were to lose two minorities in a given offseason for those types of jobs, you get three third-round compensatory picks. So the theory being that if you cultivate minorities within your organization and lose them, you will be rewarded. So there is a, uh, a carrot to be dangled for giving opportunity to minorities. That is very much a surface take on this. And the reason I want that I set it up this way is now let's go beneath the surface and take a look at it. Gerald, as a minority who has been in uh, front offices, uh, not only in the NFL, but the XFL, college football, you've been around. Uh, what is your, um, what's, what's your response or your reaction to these, uh, this new system? I mean, you have to take your hat off to the NFL and say they're trying to do their, their best job of allowing minorities to have an equal um, playing surface, um, so to say. 
but to incentivize um, the opportunities that you should get regardless of who you are. I mean, the thing that you're doing is you're trying to become the best at your profession. In the general, if you're in the front office, you're trying to get to the general manager. If you're an assistant coach, you're trying to be a, a head coach. And the thought of saying that a particular organization is developing a minority, to me, I look at it as saying, how do you know what is being done within that building? Um, is there a time limit on that? If I show up in a year or two, does that mean I was developed or was I already a good talent evaluator or a good position coach? And why shouldn't I get that job? And when you look at it, who wants to be in a building or get a job and you have to look around, you're walking around the combine, you're saying, well, did he just get the job because, you know, they incentivized it or did he really earn the opportunity to get that job? And again, that's not an equal playing surface. And is that an executive walking around wearing that? And I'm just pulling a team out. I'm not sure. Yeah. Is that an executive walking around wearing that Rams logo? Or are the is that a or is that the Rams cultivating a third round pick? Correct. So it, it, it you look at it and say is is it still is it a fair playing field? And I'm going to say no. Um, until we get it to where the best person is hired, regardless of the color of their skin, it's not going to be an equal um, factor moving forward. What Gerald, your... one of the things that I've thought is very important for this. Well, wait, let, let me open it up to actually to Jonah and Matthew before I, I don't want to change the subject too much. I don't know you guys, uh, what your thoughts are on this particular system uh, before I start throwing out ways that uh, it should, it should be done. What, right. what are your, what are your guys' thoughts on, um, on what the NFL at least is, has introduced here? Yeah, I think it's, it's admirable that they keep trying different things and, and throwing different things out there. The first thought I had when it, when it came across was, you know, this is going to almost decentivize the hiring of minorities because you don't want to help out another team. Um, you don't want to, a third round pick is not just a chump change. That's a, you know, could be a, a, an impact player for you. Alvin Kamara, Russell Wilson. Right. Um, yeah, it's Russell. Yeah. It's a lot of really good players have, have come in the third round teams value those picks so highly that we saw no movement at the trade deadline because teams want to hold on to picks like that. Right. And my initial thought is, yeah, is the team going to look and say, am I going to hire, um, you know, a, you know, a minority candidate to be my GM or to, am I going to hire Leslie Frazier to be my head coach? Uh, you know, if it means that a team in my conference or a team in my division is getting an extra third round pick to get better. So it's, I, I don't know. I don't know if it'll work. Uh, I, like I said, that they're trying things is good, but um, I don't know. It, it's 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 tough. To me, it's murking up the water, right? So, case in point, say you, Buffalo Bills. Uh, you got Leslie Frazier, and say that Joe D is now removed from the New York Jets, right? So they got to get a, a general manager and they got to get a head coach. Leslie Frazier, say Terrence Gray or Malik Boyd, right? Does the Jets say, well, 
the Buffalo Bills, say the Buffalo Bills win the division and go on to win the Super Bowl, are you going to give three picks to the Super Bowl winning team within your division <laughs> just to get um, two minorities? Or are you going to say, you know what? Apples to apples is all equal. Now nah, we're not going to go in that direction. I'd rather go somewhere else than allow the Bills to get better. Yeah, I'll go get Joe Brady. I'll go, you know, I'll go hire whoever. Whoever in another direction. Right? So now are you now are you setting back those two minorities from not getting the opportunity just because you're incentivized? It's so so high and so rich that nobody wants to go out and do that. Well, and again, on the other side, everyone's gonna say, Well, you know, we're gonna get our right guy, we're gonna get our head coach, but at the end of the day, until you're behind those glasses and you are the minority that's looking through those glasses, you're not going to feel that particular way until it happens to you. Yeah, it's um, it's it's interesting because there are so few of these jobs and so few openings each year that, 32. and you know, one of them is going to be the Jets' job, presumably. Um, so Leslie Frazier only has however many jobs open up this off season. You can almost take the Jets job off the table because of what you just said. And so is he going to have to wait an extra year or how many years does Terrence Gray have to wait? It, what it does is it help. It probably does help what Tim's talking about, you know, the, the development of these, these candidates. Um, you know, you may be more likely to hire a minority for an entry level job because you're thinking down the road. One day this guy will but be What's a, your motivation? That's the thing that that seems kind of greasy about it, right? Well, yeah, it does. That your motivation for you're not doing it because you want because you think this guy deserves it. Right. You're doing it because you can get something for it. Correct. So when 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 a lot of so he becomes an asset, he's not he's not an employee or a you know he is a he's an asset. Yeah, he's he's a potential he's third rounder. Employee number one one five that's going to get me a. Uh, third round pick in three years not you know what that young person has the ability to develop to become the next head coach or the next general manager and and i think where a lot of this is missing is the developmental factor of when you are a leader right when you're a leader um when i when i was a coach put it i'll run it my way when i was a coach and i had a graduate assistant um that was working with me my number one job was to allow that guy to coach and in two years become a position coach and have a full-time job, right? If you're in a leadership position and the person that's, that's next to you, that's your assistant, is not moving on within three to four years, then you're not doing your job at a high and efficient rate. So regardless of what we're talking about with developmental aspect, you should want to develop regardless of what it is. But now that we're talking about minorities, we got to do a better job of that. Here's and, another, here's right. another element, Joe, cause you mentioned it there. And I, cause I, I, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't interrupt, but I get excited. Oh, cause this is a little, it's a pet peeve of mine. It, all of us, we talk about it all the time. I don't know that I've ever spoken to you specifically about it, Gerald, but us three have, and I'm guessing you've have this. We're already seeing it. I saw tweets today about a matchup tonight featuring all these great young coaches that are going to be uh, up for jobs next year. Right. This media machine that comes out because they have so many friends who are agents 
And it's now time to start helping out my buddy who's an agent who represents coaches and represents these executives. So I'm going to start floating. Maybe all shares these an agent sometimes. Huh? Maybe shares an agent sometimes. That, that happens these, too. I mean, there are some of these national oh, yeah. lists that Here's come out. the next hot coach. Doug, I mean, Marone. Doug Marone out of nowhere. Right. All of a sudden, it's like, who the what? Doug look Marone. At the, look at the agency that's backing those coaches. Exactly. exactly. Guys like Jimmy Sexton, we got, you know, Bob Lamont, you got all these agents who manipulate and move their guys around and they do it through media. So, so, all right. So that's my setup, my windup. So then the pitch is this, what's to say that we have teams developing, this is a bad phrase to use, a, a shad, a dummy cat, a dummy candidate. A guy. Here's a guy. Come I'm going to start developing. I got a black guy in my office. He is going to be my hot, tent, my hot scout. Right. And he does nothing, or we don't give him anything to do, except when it comes time for me to slip his name to a reporter, or to get his name in a column, or to get his name mentioned on uh, ESPN or what have you, or in a tweet, and he starts getting some buzz because that buzz then becomes a third round pick that I got for nothing. Draft for this guy who is going to sit in my office and rot. Uh, and he and he ends up going off to some team, and it doesn't do him any favors because now he's not ready for the job. Doesn't do us, minorities. Yes, justice right. in terms of development and understanding what to do, when to do it, and how to do it in an efficient way. Because so many of these coaches are propped up anyway. It's all based on it's a belief, like well, this is the this is the next hot coach because I'm told he's because. And owners do that, and they hire. They get wild by a guy, and it's like, well, his name's been out there in the media for three months as the next guy. Oh, this guy was this guy was Sean McVay's drinking buddy in college. He must uh, he must have the secret sauce. Yeah. But but my thing is, is 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 also not a pet peeve of mine, but an angle that I also look at. Right, sometimes when you when you are behind the eight ball and you're disadvantaged and you don't have. Um, the ability to be in those positions, like you said earlier, of having a best friend that's the head coach or the general manager's son's cousin that gets into that building and it becomes the next hot name. So now you are a minority and you are a general manager or you are a head coach. Why aren't minority head coaches hiring other minorities in positions to be hired as a head coach, Right. Because they're under the spotlight and they can't get away with it. You can get away with whatever you want if you are winning at a high level, right? You well, look at, to a degree. And this is where I'm here's white guy pushing back. Just hold on for one second. Let me get this. Let me just, you got it. You got it. Right? All right. Who's the winningest head coach, black head coach in the last 15 years? Mike Tomlin. Right. Well, I was going to say Tony Dungy, but yeah. Right. But, right. Whatever. That's active, right? I should have yeah, said active. Tomlin is a good right? man Look at his hires over the last 10 years that he's been there, right? In a position to be hired as a, as a next head coach, right? You've seen two head coaches come from his umbrella, right? Gailey and B.A., right? Who's to say Byron Leffridge couldn't have been at the, um, coaching Ben Roethlisberger for the last two or three years to be in position to warrant a head coaching job. So my thing is, if minorities are in that position, do the same as everybody else has done over the last 20, 30 years. Hire, push forward, right? 
develop, even if they aren't um, qualified for that job like a lot of people aren't, give them a job just because. Because the system is not set up for success, for minority, to get that opportunity at the same rate that everybody else does. I misspoke, Gerald. I didn't mean in that sense. And thank you for clarifying it. And because I, I need to clarify, my take was more from the nepotism standpoint of it. Right. You've had successful head coaches, black head coaches, and yes, occasionally there will be a son that gets hired, but not like white coach. White coaches can hire whoever they want. If they have the same last name, you have situations like Gary Kubiak, who turns down jobs unless I can take my son with me. Greg Williams, I will not come there unless my son comes with me. Norv Turner, uh, all these guys. Uh, Charlie Weiss's son is a Division One offensive coordinator. He never played the game in high school. Who's a, who's um, a call, um, play caller for the New England Patriots? Is, well, it's one of the Belichick's, Belichick. right? I mean, I know that they, it's, he's technically not the coordinator, but, yeah, one of them, Steve, I think. That's why I said um, play caller. So, at the end of the day, if, the, if, 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 if Weiss are doing it, why aren't – other minorities. Lovey right. Smith got raked over the coals in Chicago for hiring his son. Um, so you what have it yeah. Take it and move on, right? And, yeah, you're and right. Even, and even when you look at and when you look at it, um, in the personnel office, right, in the front offices, like a guy say Ozzie Newsom, right? I mean, he's he's one of my Bama guys, but we got to be able to push forward like everybody else does, just to get ahead. Well, here's where I a remedy that I think can be found. I I think it, I think the NFL is doing this backwards. I, I the Rooney Rule as it was constituted was landmark and changed the game forever and should be lauded. But just trying to keep coming up underneath and push the Rooney Rule up doesn't do it for me. What I think and some story I've written about this before. I've interviewed John Wooten from the Fritz Pollard Alliance and. You know, as many you know minority coaches as I as I can. I was tracking the data of it uh, as of far back as two years ago, going to the Power Five conferences, uh, which is deplorable. Also, in That's higher quarterbacks, coaches, offensive coordinators, um, quality control coaches. That is the key. Entry level jobs because these quality control coaches get these jobs and nobody thinks about them. They get these jobs nice and quietly. They often have the last name of somebody else on the staff. Correct. Always the head coach. Maybe it's your offensive line coach. Maybe it's your your former head coach from when you played and you're given a favor to your his grandson. Uh, whatever. And what happens is they're gophers and they're right. not fun jobs and they get the coffee and they do the Xeroxes and they break down the plays and they do the film and everything. But what happens is they get to know the offense at such a granular level that they then get the trust. And then they're in the quarterback's room and they're talking to those guys every day and they're dealing with the offensive coordinator every day. And then they're dealing with the head coach every day. And then before you know it, um, as Jimmy Ray once told me five years ago, I didn't know who this guy was and now he's a head coach. Right. And Jimmy Ray can't, you know, he couldn't get a job. But, but the, so anyway, I think that the Rooney rule needs to apply to the entry level jobs, the quality control coaches, all these, whatever, Sean McDermott, he's just got somebody on his staff that's just called assistant, you know, whatever it is. He's, get, those guys need to have, you have to interview a minority for those jobs and let those guys get in those meeting rooms and work with the teams. But e even when that does happen to me, and I think that's a great idea, um, 
It's really don't patronize me, Gerald. No, 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 <laughs> don't no, push no. back on this. No, no, no. I'm not pushing back. I'm pushing that forward because that's a that's a, that's All right. a standing. Idea. I was proud of that. I, I've been working but, on it. But but also, when when you have those, because I've I've been in the coaching realm where you see the quality control guys coming along. But what happens is most minor most most young minority um, entry level guys they don't have the finances to go three or four years of not getting paid, right? To do those jobs, right? So when you create those positions, you got to almost have it of saying, hey, you know what? He's almost on scholarship for these three or four years because – Maybe that's where these draft picks come from. If they come up through this system and then they get the job, then you get the third-round draft pick because you develop this guy honestly – because if you go down to Tuscaloosa, if you go down to Tuscaloosa, you're going to have a zillion of those guys lined up just doing work because mom and dad can truly afford to pay for you to go to college and not work and three or four years not have a job and still be the quality control guy. When minorities say, listen, I don't have it. I can't do the quality control job because I'm not, I don't have any money to barely eat or survive. So even though those jobs are available somewhat and they're still not that easily accessible, I'm going to tell you that right now because those are jobs that are still being pipelined by the big-time agencies and the coach's cousin and the uncle of the nephew of a brother of a son of the grandchild of a nephew get that job. And then, like you said, in four years, they become that. But I'm always going to say if you are a minority, you have to just say, you know what, the only way that I can get this done is I have to physically make this higher. You, 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 and you. Go down to every HBCU and say, you know what? I'm taking five of y'all, and we're coming along, and I'm going to get you guys straightened out in order to to push forward and get more guys coming through the pipelines. I just want to leave, uh, before I let other people talk, and I'm sorry, Jonah, that we've been steamrolling you here, but uh, just real real quick, a, a, a stat from my research uh, heading into last season when I did a story on the lack of minority offensive coaches uh, heading into last season, there were 30 quarterbacks coaches because John Gruden and Kyle Shanahan handle those jobs as head coaches. So 30, you know, plus those two, six teams uh, also listed quarterback coach assistants. So there was an assistant to the quarterbacks coach. That's 36 jobs coaching quarterbacks uh, in the NFL. 12 or uh, five were minorities out of 36. 12 of those 36, however, never played quarterback in college or the pros. So you were almost three times more likely to have not played the position and coached quarterbacks in the NFL than to have been a minority coaching quarterbacks in the NFL. Wow. That's nepotism. That's getting breaks in these jobs where. Pete Carroll with his two sons on the staff and whatever, boys, whatever you got. All right. Well, you learned it. Hey, he put in his dues for those three years, you know, breaking down film. Well, yeah, he was living with his dad and he was, you know, at the facility every day. And um, it's, it's funny how the people with the, with the same DNA all happen to be the only, the only acceptable coaches. And then, and then you got to understand the aspect of exposure, right? You're exposed to, coaching um you're exposed to 
exposed to understanding how to interview, right? How to set up game plans because you're in that environment on a daily basis, right? That that that's one of the biggest things that I tell, um, you, you know, young people that's trying to get into scouting or what makes a good scout. Um, it's the ability to present, right? To paint a picture when nobody else is, is is there watching it, but through your words you can explain what the next coming of the great quarterback is going to be like. And if you're not in the setting, if you're not being taught that, if you're not getting the ability to do that weekly, it's going to be tough. Like I, like Malik Boyd, what 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 he does um, in terms of um, developing young people, I it's incredible. Um, Jim Monas, same thing. Doug Whaley, um, those guys. Because they, they'll give you the opportunity to present in front of the head coach, owner, um, Doug Whaley being a general manager at the time, Brandon Bean being a general manager. Those guys give you opportunities to present. But if you don't have that, it, it's tough. And again, Doug Whaley and I always talk about it all the time. It's exposure. Exposure to the, to the owner, exposure to the head coach, exposure to the general manager to help push yourself forward. But if you're not in that position, you won't get a shot. Gerald, that's kind of what I wanted to to ask you. You've been, you've been had your foot in the door. Um, you've got you kind of had to scratch and claw your way to get into the Bills facility, and it was through what you're talking about. Being you know, you mentioned a conversation with Jim Monas that kind of sparked a, a friendship there, where um, that got you in the door. What was your experience when you were with the Bills? You you were with Doug Whaley, hired by Doug Whaley, and then rehired by Brandon Bean, had to re-interview, um, I guess, the experience of hanging around and getting in the door, but then what you're talking about, the development aspect of it, because um, it's also, you you had to make that move to the XFL to break that glass ceiling a little bit. Right. Um, like I said, I, 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 I thought I got as much as I could out of, um, my experience and I, I had to get developed in a leadership role where it was a all, it wasn't a solo act but create that um, situation for myself um, from my background the way that my dad raised me I'm um, Jamaican the way that we came up it's you got to push yourself forward um, you can wait as long as you want to but when you see certain um, moves happening and you aren't being pushed forward and and, and I don't mean by um, title, I mean by responsibility, and moving forward, then you have to make your own way and see your own way out of the dark, um, so to say. And that's what I try to do for myself, and that's what I would explain to any young person that's trying to get ahead. You got to push yourself forward um, and give yourself every opportunity to be great and and get those responsibilities. Because if you're not getting those responsibilities, I don't know how. Or how much you can grow within your profession and if you truly want to be one of the better ones and you're truly a competitor you want to grow and growth is the number one thing that you're trying to do and become I think we've run out of questions for Gerald all good I don't want to change the subject because uh, I I don't I don't want to misspeak by saying I love the topic that we just talked about because I think it's sad topic that we have to discuss it the way we do. But if we don't discuss it, then it's even, then it becomes tragic, I think. Right. And so 
um, to, to change the subject and try to throw something else uh, flipping on top of it before we wrap up here makes it seem like, you know, we doesn't seem right. I want to end it on this topic and uh, hopefully people uh, think about it. Sure. And uh, when they, when they shut off the podcast, uh, contemplate some ways um, that things need to change. And I, I know that there's a lot of pushback and some immediate, uh, well, uh, affirmative action, um, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, I had to work for what I got. You have to, hey, it's, it's not about working hard. Right. A lot well, of people yeah. work hard. And like you just said, and you just don't get the opportunity. Right. I don't. Not many guys worked harder than the guy we're talking to here. Um, I mean, that. I mean, if you, if you read his story, I'd, I guess there's not too many guys working in the NFL that, that had to get, take that path. So, I mean, he had the golden ticket. He was born in Jamaica (laughs) where all NFL uh, future NFL employees come from. He he won the lottery. He won the DNA lottery and that's it. And uh, yeah, I wish I was born in Jamaica and I'd, I'd probably be GM by now. (laughs) Just that easy. No, nah, I mean, what, the tougher roads make you um, a better person, man. When you start out on a hard road, the, 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 as long as you go, it never gets as hard as the beginning. Everything else becomes a little bit more smooth, and you can transition to basically anything. Um, uh, Matt's story is, uh, I think Matt did a great job telling your story, but it is your story. And, very much so. um, And you had, to, uh, you had to deal with so much uh, to get to not only where you are, but where you're going. And, Appreciate uh, that. It's will be. Uh, I'm just happy that you're slumming it with us for uh, for as long as uh, as long as you're able. No, nah, man. Listen, we're we're all be tied in. Now, if if Mark Ross on NFL Network did an outstanding job presenting a lot of that um, information that we just spoke about, and he is a living example of of why and how um, he's not a general manager. You can check his, his background, his resume, and put it up to a lot of these guys that are hired or continually getting hired. And it's, it's no answer. And until you can give a firm answer on why and with, a, with a good explanation and thought behind it, it's always going to be it's, it's not fair and that you're not playing on the same surface or it's not equal. Until I don't want to... I don't want to marginalize what Eric Bieniemy is going through. I I understand actually why he's not getting some opportunities, and I think much of it has to do with the fact that Andy Reid's known as that play caller more than you know than it's any nefarious plot against him. But if you think it's been unfair for Eric Bieniemy, yeah, take a look at somebody like like him, like right. the, and or Jimmy Ray. Right. You know, take a look at these guys who. Didn't even get interviewed. Didn't weren't even considered. Well, let, let me put something to you. Um, just an, just another spin on um, uh, uh, a guy like Eric Bieniemy, which I think, if if this is his approach, I think it's outstanding, right? Um, most minorities, when they do get a job, they get the worst ones, right? The paint's coming off the wall, and you got to yep. put the whole entire structure together and before you get it going. Um, somebody else comes in and they get um, the golden nugget, right? Tampa Bay. Um, San Francisco, right? The next man gets a golden nugget. Eric Bannum is in an outstanding position to dictate 
And most minorities aren't in that position to dictate the job and to handpick the opportunity that he should get to push him forward to become the best um, head coach and put in the best situation um, initially when he starts out. So if I'm Eric, I'm sitting here saying, okay, I got a potential Hall of Fame quarterback on my hand. Right. I'm allowed to call plays. Financially, I think he's secure. He just won the Super Bowl. There's a good chance that he wins it again. Right. You have Kelsey there. You have Watkins there. You have your offensive line there. The defense is there. You just got a stud running back. If the job's not right for me at this opportunity and this time, I'm sitting right here and wait until that opportunity comes so I can handpick my perfect situation. Instead Joe of Flacco's, though. Joe Flacco's at the Meadowlands waiting for him. Super Bowl winning quarterback, Joe Flacco. Don't want to go in a dumpster fire if you can't control the inferno. <laughs> <laughs> Gerald, let me ask you this. Um, and I'm going to turn the light on on us, us media guys here and say, what, what do you think of the way that we touched on a little bit, you know, of course, the, the, you know, guys helping out an agent or pumping up certain candidates. But what do you think about the way that minorities that get the jobs, be it head coach, general manager, are covered um, relative to their white counterparts in terms of just I'll leave it like that. What, what do you, what do you think can be, how could we be better? I guess. It, it's almost like a, a, a double standard, right? To where, you know, blacks are looked at as, and if you don't go in and you don't win automatically, or you, you have a Pete Carroll situation where he gets a job early and he fails several times, right? As a minority or black, you don't, you don't get that opportunity again. And I, it's hard to say what the media does because you guys write stories that's going to sell. And I don't think that we look at the damage that you do to a, uh, a person's career when you throw that snowball and start rolling it downhill. And it's already uh, a steep hill for minorities to get back. So I, I, I just ask that we all look at it with an open eye and an equal eye of saying, okay, good. That guy sucked for this long. It's no different than that other guy that's sucking. They just look different, you know, just graded as what it is instead of being impartial to your opinion on the skin color of that person. Just make it fair as possible. And I don't think anyone's asking for anything um, that you wouldn't do to another person, but just make it equal and make it fair moving forward. Amen. Amen, Gerald. I think the uh, the general manager of the Bills are playing this weekend is a pretty good example of a guy that uh, he's got. He's gotten uh, the head coach too. Well, yeah, the head coach, but uh, yeah, the head coach has you know average head coach in college never really won anything, and you know it, it's a timely conversation. The the general oh, manager, the, the head coach, the head coach kept failing upwards. Right. Yeah, he got pushed. He 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 got put. He failed forward. Yeah, and right. Steve, and Steve Kime, I'll say his name. Uh, he, you know, he's gotten in some trouble off away from away from the office. He's, uh, you know, gotten a few cracks at drafting quarterbacks in the top ten, um, and it's 
Yeah, I think you think about, you know, some of that. You think about the way, um, you know, even Anthony Lynn is in his first year with a rookie quarterback and people are are already piling on him. And, um, and that quarterback's doing outstanding. And he's having a great year, yeah. So what's I, I think – what's the, what's, the, what's the issue for me? Like, Right. You have a young quarterback. Um, you've had guys hurt all year. And I'm, I'm, I'm an A-Lynn guy, right? Friend, but I'm speaking and, and being honest, right? You take a young quarterback that a lot of people said was not ready and every every obstacle against him, right? You hire Pep Hamilton, right? And I'm not giving him Pep a, a buzz because I've known Pep for a long time, since I was 17 years old, right? We worked together in the XFL. But when I spoke to Aileen, I said, great teacher of young people. Easiest hire you can possibly have, right? But he gets um, Justin. And he's doing an outstanding job with Justin. You know, why isn't Pep Hamilton the next hot name? You know, why isn't he the guy that everyone's talking about of saying, wow, he's a quarterback developer? That's what Cliff Kingsbury um, is supposed to be, a quarterback developer. And he fails forward, right? All Pep Hamilton has ever done is develop Andrew Luck. And now you got Justin Herbert. And when he was in the XFL, Number one team in the East. Theoretically. So, huh? Theoretically. No, fact. <laughs> we did that. <laughs> fact. So now you, you got to push okay. back every time you brag. I got to, I got to, you come in here and you just, it's, it's, you're a homer. No, I'm, a, I'm, a, I, I try to speak. You're the, the worst homer ever. <laughs> And I just need to check. I feel it's a visceral. I just have to check it. I just have to say, look, man, think about it just for a second before you start right. <laughs> saying these things. No, it's the truth. So why why isn't Pep Hamilton and Anthony Lynn being like, wow, he, they're doing a solid job out there. Um, and well, like, the losses, you know. Yeah. So I, I do think they're doing a great job. And I think it would be absurd if they were to get rid of Anthony Lynn. Uh, but I mean, the losses just keep mounting and that's, that's with, and a, rookie, with a rookie quarterback. Like, yeah, I, I know. I know. I mean, you're just saying why, I mean, I'm just, what's Cincinnati, what's Cincinnati's record. Yeah. But Cincinnati is supposed to be bad, right? Yeah. But I, no, I, I but the, know the this point thing. stands, I think, <laughs> I think what the, the, the large point and I, to localize it and to, you know, like, Look at Steve Kime is is still employed. Dave Caldwell is still employed. How many general managers that get fired find their way into Dennis Hickey's in the Bills front office? And Doug Whaley is not, yet he drafted a lot of good players. I don't think anybody's arguing necessarily that he should still be the general manager. Um, you know, I don't think that that comes into play too much when he, you know, he's okay, so he gets let go. But it's the it's the steps after that, right? The not being I able to get another back opportunity. Out. Jerry Reese, right? Jerry Reese, who was one of the best general managers in football for a long time. You've got right. Steve Kime still employed. Is Dave Caldwell going to get to pick what? What will this be like? His third quarterback that he gets to pick? I mean, you know how many how many of these? Uh, how long do these guys get to stick around, and and why? Um, you know, and. It's same thing, right? Anthony Lynn gets viewed one way, and the Bengals get viewed another. Um, I don't know. It's one guy's losing on the last drive of of, of each game. 
of like every game he's ever played. Right. The the problem with Anthony Lynn is that they need to find more boring ways to lose. If they were boring ways, people wouldn't be talking about it. I'm not saying that as a, that's not a legitimate thing I'm saying. Judge them all the same. I'm saying is that people are talking about it because they keep losing in these crazy ways. And that's not his fault, but that's why people are talking about it. Is a loss a loss and a W a W? Yes, but but I'm I'm just. We we just had a conversation about covering the stories. No, no, I'm not justifying it. I'm explaining it. No, I'm explaining it too. So when you write a story, say, oh my God, they lost in the last second by one point. The other team just lost by 50, but it was surely exciting. (laughs) Period. Well, you pick up that story and you're like, oh, yeah, fire that guy. Keep him around because he's <laughs> developing and they're losing by a lot. But I know next year they're only going to lose by a lot. Well, one. I would question that writer. Uh, I, would, uh, I would have a little trouble as that guy's editor. But, uh, but yeah, you know, what plays on what you need, the stories that lead are the ones that have the best highlights. And when you can watch when ESPN and NFL network, I mean, and it's the NFL's own network. It's not like the NFL's finding it. They, they, they play it up too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it, they, they're not, they're not in it for necessarily gamesmanship and fair play and all these other things. I mean, that's the rules of the game. The NFL is a television sh- is a network. It's just a television show. Right. And they're going to try to give you as many different. So when the chargers week after week, keep losing in these crazy ways that allow the, the, announcer to say, and you won't believe what you're about to see again from the Chargers, then they roll the tape. And if the Chargers had lost by, you know, 10 points and they trailed throughout the entire fourth quarter by 13 or 14, then their highlights aren't even shown probably. And people aren't even talking about Anthony Lynn. I mean, it's unfortunate. That's the thing that's unfortunate. You're right. But it's how- Let me ask you a question right now. If If you had to give a rookie of the year award right now, today ended right now, who's, who's your rookie of the year? I'm bad. I'm for, bad with that because I, I'd need to take a look. I, I don't. I don't know. We had our poll, um, the athletic writers, and I voted for Herbert. Good. So you're going to fire the guys that's developed the third quarterback that was taken. Right? I'm not firing anybody. I want to. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I'm just saying this. This is merely conversation, right? I don't know, and man. I don't like the year, word. The guys that developed this quarterback, and you get your team back next year. You're going to try to move on. Like, and he wasn't that, supposed to be good, right? Well, not not that Herbert wasn't supposed to be good, but he wasn't supposed to be this good. He's not this supposed quick. to be playing. He's not supposed to be this good this quick. He's not, he's not supposed, supposed to be playing, playing. right? Which if is even not, yeah. if he's not an actor. He he's not playing. He is the offensive rookie of the year right now. I mean, yeah. looking objectively at at all at everything that's going on, it's mm-hmm. he should win if it ended today, which it doesn't. But and if we had a Pro Bowl this year, he'll be getting some Pro Bowl votes. Yeah. Well, he'd be in the Pro Bowl. So why aren't we talking about the guy? Yeah, he would after a few coaching guys him out. and developing him. <laughs> like to me, that's that that's the best story this year. How did we get a guy that was not supposed to be playing, playing at this high level, carrying his team weekly into a last second drive? It's going to be Gerald, a good conversation probably, to have in a couple of weeks when the Chargers come to town. I'm guessing it's the offensive quality control coaches behind it. <laughs> <laughs> it's good conversation. And I want to see what that guy's last name is. 
I'm going to look it up. You guys talk. It's not Dixon. I can't. I don't want to leave anybody. I got to look up the chat. I got to look up the Chargers coaching staff now. I know. I know one of them, and I know what the last name is. Anthony Lynn does have his son on staff, right? But he's on the other side of the ball, I think. That and the other thing too, yeah. Anthony Lynn's son has also been away from Anthony Lynn a lot. He was with the Texans, so they haven't always been together. He's actually gone to other teams. D Lynn's, D. Lynn's a solid coach. He can coach. I was in the office with him. He can coach. But yeah, run through that list. Um, all those assistant assistants on that list, and tell me if there's yeah. any names that that are familiar with anybody. Anthony Lynn's one of the, the Gus Bradley guys is the defensive league. coordinator. Mm-hmm. Shane's uh, I can never say his name. Steichen is the offensive coordinator. George Stewart, good old George Stewart, uh, is the special teams coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, offensive line, which is also where you rarely see uh, minorities, but uh, James Campen is the offensive line coach. Phil McGagan is the wide receivers coach. Mark Ridgely, running backs. Uh, Alfredo Roberts at t- is the tight ends coach. Pep Hamilton, quarterbacks. Dan Shamash is the tight ends co- assistant tight ends. David Diaz and Fonte, assistant O-line coach. Oh, <laughs> Offensive quality control coach. Who's that? Let me just double check here. <laughs> check it twice. Tell me who it is. Yep, I told you it was this guy. I told you this was the – I knew he was behind it. Yeah, this is why Pep Hamilton will not get a job because this guy is behind Justin Herbert's success. And who nobody can deny it. Seth Ryan, former Clemson, <laughs> former Clemson star Seth Ryan – who is Seth Ryan? Who's he related is the to? The offensive quality control coach. This is this, I, you can't make this up because Who's I didn't. He related know, to? I didn't know this. Who's he related to? It's Rex Ryan's son. Hmm. Rob Ryan's nephew. More importantly, it, imagine how imagine how he got that job. Probably because of his his career at Clemson, which is obviously he gets on the and that's how they do it too. You know, you see these coaches' sons end up as the fourth string quarterback, and they're non scholarship because they don't need a scholarship. And so they end up getting to stay at a college for four years on a football team, learning offenses and learning whatever. And then they can say, I played quarterback at, um, well, Wade Phillips' son, who went to Will North. Uh, Seth he, Ryan was a receiver, he, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a holder as well, though. Well, he ended up at, But he ended up at Clemson. Um, Got it. With a national and, championship, and, right? And Coach Sweeney's, both of his sons are playing receivers, and I'm pretty sure they're going to be uh, at some point coaching with Coach Sweeney, and he's going to let you know they're going to get hired. And I'm, and I'm, I'm with him. If it's my sons, they're getting hired too, and I'm doing it. Don't care who says wh- what, I'm doing it. The Just third paragraph in uh, Seth Ryan's bio, he only has four paragraphs in his bio. The third paragraph says, Ryan played wide receiver at Clemson, where he was a member of the 2016 national championship team. Clemson won two ACC titles, the Orange Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl, over his time with the Tigers. You know, without context, that sounds Quite like a resume. very, yeah. And then the last paragraph, Ryan is the son of former Jets and Bills head coach Rex Ryan. Ryan recently married Meg Moran, and the couple resides in Newport Beach, California. And that's Listen, that. that. That's his credential. If, if you dig deep enough on a few staffs, right, you'll see a lot of Oh, that no, no. I did that for the story that I was quoting earlier. I mean, it's loaded with them. I just didn't know that we were talking about Herbert. And then I said, 
I had no idea. I swear on my son's eyes that I had no idea that Seth Ryan, when I when I was just flippantly saying, "Ah, oh, it's got to be the uh, the quality control." Hey, man, I just told you to dig. You you found yeah. the dirt on your own nail. I didn't I didn't give you the shovel. I just gave you. I just told you the spot. Oh dear, dig. And well, he'll be a head coach dig, in no time. If you or dig, an, he'll be a coordinator. If you dig a little bit more in the NFL, you sit back and you'll say, "Whoa." You'll you'll just say how so she's married the this what, what oh it's just a big family yeah there's check, a lot of that. I mean check out other some other staff that's close to home Seth yeah. Ryan was in the receivers room with Sammy Watkins I'm sure they I'm sure he helped uh, I'm sure they they, uh, they made <laughs> each other better <laughs> keep Sammy out of this man Andy Andre Hopkins right uh you know I don't think he was Seth there. Ryan would have been there and. At the, with DeAndre Hopkins? I don't think he was there with Nuke. I don't no? think so. I don't think so. Sammy and Mike, yes. All right. Let's wrap this up before it gets even more absurd. I said we were going to stop on a, on a heavy note, you know, give people something to think about. And it actually does make it because it's this, – this adds the absurdity to it. So you think about, oh, come on, how bad can it be? Maybe if you were, if you were rolling your eyes as you're, as you're talking to uh, – yeah, or as you're listening to the podcast and thinking, oh, these guys, these bleeding heart liberals talking about how the minorities need more breaks. And then we, not circle, breaks, back, not we circle back with Seth Ryan. Equal opportunity. I hear you. I hear you. There you go. Yeah. I think a minority needs a Seth Ryan opportunity. It's easy. <laughs> your son. Just like they needed a Rex Ryan opportunity and a Rob Ryan opportunity. How did they start? In- Where did they start at? With who? How did they get the job? Buddy. Stop. Oh. Stop. Stop trying to insult us. <laughs> well, they just had a buddy. This isn't quiz. Well, that's who uh that's uh, the but the yeah, the buddy who was on the staff. What was his name? Weeks. That was the guy. Gerald can't comment. <laughs> Jeff Weeks, right? That's the guy who he he always had a job with the Ryans. He's he's a hot head coaching candidate. <laughs> All right. Hey, right. <laughs> Jonah, I, I want to thank you for your contributions. Uh, Jonah just had a front row seat for the podcast. <laughs> right. Jonah's having fun. I don't have to download it later. Um, Gerald, thanks for this. Um, oh, man, anytime, man. You're, you're amazing with your insights. I enjoy it. Uh, I, I enjoy uh, the back and forth, but mostly I enjoy the enlightenment uh, and feeling smarter uh, when I hit uh, – when I hit the button uh, on this record, uh, on this on the Zoom uh, recording, I, I always feel smarter when I hit the stop button than when I hit the start button. So, I just uh, want Trey, I just want I just want Trey, my son, to have a um, a shot at being whatever he wants to be. And if I have to do it and push him forward, that's easily done. All right, it's all it's all a dad, uh, and every dad deserves that for their son. Every son deserves that. Period. Do it for your uh, own. I don't think anybody else will before you do. All right. We'll talk to you next week, Gerald. All right. Appreciate you. All right. Thank you. <laughs>